Welcome, traveler, to Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. So, so far we've talked about the things that could be built today and be yeah. pretty good. Um, so let's talk about the stuff that can't be built today, but maybe uh-huh. could in the future. So my last suggestion yeah. of what we can do is very speculative. Mm. I okay. both don't know if this is possible, and I don't even know if this is going to be fun. In the far future. <laughs> Great. Uh, but here, here is something which could be kind of interesting. So when we talk about AI, I think the conception that people have had of AI before this whole generative AI boom with language and images mm. was AI is something which can think and make decisions for itself. So we typically associated AI with sort of video game AIs where I'm playing a shooter and then the video game uh, enemy has to decide whether it's going to strafe behind me or lay cover fire or flank me, whatever, right? That sort of decision making, making decisions independently is called uh, an independent agent. Mm-hmm. So you have an AI agent which decides what to do. And this could be very, very interesting in creating living, breathing worlds. So... Mm-hmm. I set a series of starting conditions, and uh, then I just let the AIs do what they want. And Unfold the world. Com- exactly. See what comes out of that. And so Stanford published a paper, I think, like uh, a week or two ago. It came out. Mm-hmm. And what they had done was they created this game, very simple. It was just like a pixel sprite game with a bunch of characters in different Uh, like 30 characters, and they all had objectives and they all had knowledge. So it was basically like 30 different chat GPTs all talking to each other and all trying to achieve one specific task, which was their like primary goal. So like the gardener was like going to be like, okay, I'm going to go to the flower store. I'm going to buy some flowers. I'm going to plant them in my garden. I'm going to try to sell my flower to somebody else, blah, 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 blah. Um, And all of the characters had knowledge, which the other characters needed, but they the other character didn't know. So they had to interact with each other in order to get this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sort of the, the TLDR is that um, it didn't exactly work. There was like hallucinations <laughs> and just kind of weird stuff that happens. Um, It'd be great for a surrealist world. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it was really, really interesting. It was like this, the idea of doing this is like really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing D&D and you're in a town and mm-hmm. you have like independent agents, you, you, you sort of like set the stage for what should happen in a town. Yeah. Or like the thing, the actions that you take actually have consequences that unfold. Now, the question is, should this be the up to the the dm's discretion how this is going to happen of course but if you could have like realistic simulations and like maybe 20 parallel universes and the care and the dm can decide which one of the parallel universes to help inspire them i think that could be kind of cool yeah. so that's that's one I, thing you could do with, with agents i'm fascinated by this because there are a couple of different ways that people will make their will make a game right so kind of the classic style that we're used to for writing a game or like writing a campaign. And this is how modules are set up is you have the plot, right? And you have to follow the plot more or less. So like Matt and I are playing through rise of the rune Lords. And I believe the uh, max is now running the Icewind Dale five E module rhyme yes. of the frost maiden. And so the ending is already more or less written, right? There are certain things that mm. you can change and like the ways that you do certain things will change, will adjust the conditions that you go into the, the finale with or what you're doing about the finale or what you're doing with the people but there will come a time in our in our campaign where we will have to have to either 
help the rune lords rise or prevent them from rising or fight <laughs> the rune lords after they've risen. <laughs> Obviously, Matt and I still don't know what's happening. Um, Are they good or bad? I know. Uh, we, don't know. we don't know. We don't know. I All think, I know is that uh, Hanson, Jimmy, and Bravos are going to sail into the sunset together and uh, commit Hanson crimes Jimmy? or something. Hanson, <laughs> Jimmy. Oh, that's my character. Did There's you see the is. new Dumbo with Danny DeVito? No. Wait, <laughs> oh, Danny, Danny DeVito plays Dumbo? No, he plays the ringmaster of the oh. the carnival. I'm less interested. Anyway. Dumbo is my summon. Nice. <laughs> it's that's true. Funny. It's horrifying. <laughs> um, and so and he, he does fly, fly, flapping his ears. In those games... It's driven by the plot. Mm-hmm. You, This is like the inciting incident. There are a few different inciting incidents for different adventures and whatever. And it all eventually leads to doing something about these rune lords. Helping, hurting, preventing, stopping, killing. I don't know. But that's like very plot driven. So that's how like we're, we think about writing things. And a lot of DMs, when we come to this like game, and we talked a bit about this when we talked about time in the A series and the B series, we uh. get in our head this like idea of oh this is a cool scene this is how i want it to end with like the villain hanging off a cliff and the players get to decide whether to save him or not and like you come up with the scene and then you write a story that will get you there but you're not really accounting for what the players can do or will do necessarily right now for a lot of people that's that's nice because it helps it helps deal with the anxiety of choice people know there's a plot to follow and it's sort of been figured out how you follow the plot and whatnot and I've gotten feedback in games that I've run before that sometimes people are like, Joe, I, I don't even know what you want me to do here. Or like, what is, mm. what are we even doing? What's our goal here? And I'm like, and, and half the time I'm like, I don't know. It's whatever you want to do. Cause I have a very like laissez-faire way of running. What I like to do is I never write an ending to my campaign when I start it. What I write are characters that have goals and they have knowledge or they want something to happen and often have something that is like some reason that they're not just that they haven't accomplished whatever it is they want already right so we have like a villain Mm. we had a villain who was like a king and he was trying to amass power because he was convinced that some prophecy was true and he was going to save the world so he needed to kill like all of these really powerful mages but he couldn't have the the power dragon-shaped continent or whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah Yeah, good memory um and so he was a character, and I didn't know if he was going to succeed or win or whatever, um, and I did not expect what happened to him to happen to him. What happened? But, uh, he, so I thought he was going to be like a major villain for like the whole campaign, and the heroes, like a lot of it was going to build up to killing him or getting him on their side to then kill the demon that was his like grandfather, basically. Like final but, act type stuff. But what ended up happening is, okay, this is going to be complicated. The There were two players and the king were all brothers and they were the sons of a demon, basically. But like the demon had been forced to pour some of his essence into his children. And so the demon was, wanted to kill his children so mm. that he could be released and restored to full power because some mm. of his essence was like stuck in his kids. And this demon had like the big daddy demon who was his, uh, who was in charge of him, who was his ruler, who wanted to restore his servant to his, his full power. And so one of the players um, ditched the rest of the group, made a secret deal with big daddy demon and with the king that if they let him live, that, that they were going to help uh, find like this other power source for the demon. This is like the short-ish version because it's really long and complex. It took us like years to get to this point. And in this big combat where like half the party is facing off against the one renegade party member and 
the king and the big daddy demon who came in to like to fight them and, and release the other demon and steal this power source. And so they're fighting and suddenly it gets to a point where they're they're losing. And so big daddy demon turned and said, uh, turned around and just murdered the king. Oh. Even though in theory they were on like the same side because they would had made this agreement and he's like he murdered him and the, the other player, Chris, is like, What? And he's like he shrugs and is like, well, he's a demon. Like, what did you expect? You're losing. And so by killing the king, released enough of the essence back to the original demon that he broke free of his prison and everyone dipped. Everyone like panicked and, and fled. So long story. But what am I getting at? I'm getting at, I didn't know that that was how this was going to end for the king. But I knew what Big Daddy Demon Razzit wanted and i knew what the king wanted and i knew what like all of these different players wanted so when i got to this moment i was sitting there i was on the demons big daddy demons turn Mm. and i thought to myself well well we're not winning this combat and it looks like the people are the people we're fighting are going to get away or beat us or do something or prevent us from achieving our goal so the fastest way for me to get what i want is to like just kill the king and so i did nice and so that's what when going back to like agents, that's an interesting way to run a game is not by having a plot line with a predetermined end, but having a bunch of different characters that are going and like making decisions. Now, the problem with this is then you have a George R. R. Martin situation where <laughs> it spirals out of control, it becomes so unwieldy, and there's no end because it becomes too much like real life. In real life, there's not just like it doesn't end, despite what Fukuyama would have us think. Um, Who's that? Like, like things keep going. Well, someone hasn't listened to all of our episodes. I haven't listened to the last like four or five. The no, this is uh, like a million Fukuyama years ago. wrote the end of history, where he argues basically that like neoliberalism is is the only way. It's like the logical conclusion of like economic, social, political systems. And he's wrong, right? Yes, yes. Well, we okay. we said he's wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, the actual answer is AI. The actual answer is AI. Yeah. Um, no, but re- with regards to agents, I think there is something kind of cool of like, do you guys know Dwarf Fortress? Yes, I was no, actually going to bring this up. Go ahead, Matt. Well, it's just a really, really complicated game that is sort of a simulation of running a castle as some dwarves. And a lot of the world is simulated basically out of possible seeds. I mean, I've never played it myself. I'm interested. It just got a Steam port with that's a little more um, graphically complicated. It used to be all mm-hmm. ASCII art. A- a- how is that pronounced? ASCII? ASCII? Or whatever. Well, you know. What did you say? As As. <laughs> ASCII, ASCII, I don't know. Yeah, it's ASCII. ASCII art, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so much of the intrigue in the game is just how can I... You cut out for a second, Matt. Yeah, sorry. Uh, how can I build up my little dwarf civilization with all these proc gen things threatening it and st- you know having to cope with all these procedurally generated internal difficulties? So Dwarf Fortress is basically what I was describing, but entirely procedural. So if you set up a, like extremely complicated system where every single thing is perfectly simulated and everything has parameters like a dwarf can get drunk if they drink this much alcohol alcohol Mm -hmm. has these properties if it's stored at this temperature bugs will arrive so if you set up this super super complicated intricate system then you can simulate a bunch of stuff The, the way they achieved this was by Making it literally like like line like stick figure quality drawings. Um, but the new and... the new release looks good, which is what makes oh, it nice, interesting. Nice, nice, yeah. nice, nice. I did hear about that actually. Um, ASCII but the, art. Yeah, but the question is, <laughs> can you do something like this for like D and D worlds? 
Um, and the answer might be yes. So why would that be useful to a DM? Well, maybe you could sort of like prep for a session by like literally just like saying, okay, here's what my four or five characters' personalities are. Here's why players just like the type of the type of shit that they do. Give me like twenty. 20 things that might unfold mm. and you just like throw it to the computer you get 20 parallel yeah. parallel worlds that might help you prepare for the uh, different uh-huh. situation it might give you ideas that you never would have thought of and uh-huh. then you can also use this with regards to your other characters so you're like here's the characters that i have in mind here's like one scenario that i was thinking but like tell me like 20 other ways that this can unfold yeah uh, so yeah i think it just like better prepare you i think that could be yeah. kind of interesting well it's also interesting because a lot of games you'll have like a rumors table where like you go to the innkeeper you go to the town and you can roll on a random chart of like oh these are some rumors around a lot of osr games have this yeah um cone or um barbarian prince my favorite solo game of all time has this solo stuff like that solo game it's a game you play alone Uh, like a tabletop rpg it's like um yeah it's like a hex crawl it's like sort of rpg we have also mentioned on the podcast I guess you're not our biggest fan. I guess you're not really a big fan after all. <laughs> was it was there an episode like playing D&D by yourself or something? No, we no. haven't, but we could talk about that. Yeah. Um, okay. Bowling alone. I think yeah. playing D&D playing D&D by yourself is terrible. I've done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't say that yet. That'll be the shocking conclusion to our episode, playing D&D alone. <laughs> but they have like a rumors table. And so you roll and you get a rumor or you get like something that's happening. But from that rumor, the dungeon master then has to sort of like gets to go back and figure out, well, how did this is the end point? How do we get here? What you're proposing using agents is a much more organic process where you start with the characters in the town and eventually arrive at a rumor or a hook yeah. or something that's going on. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. The other thing which I would say is Matt often has like side characters who are associated with him who he commits unspeakable acts to. I think that if an AI, like a rational AI, were playing as these sidekicks instead of like one of our friends, I think that the, oh, they would know they what would to understand. do. They, they would, would understand, understand, and I think that all of my no. my people would survive. This now, is why do you say rational that? AI? It's because it's rational. Would be ra- why would you assume that? Because we've got all the smartest, uh, you know, programmers uh, 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 doing their job, you know like you that's a good that's a good answer yeah. wait but actually this is a good question because um one of the characteristics of humans is we are irrational and some people would say irrational in, a pred- in predictable ways and i think mm, to a certain yeah. extent that's true yeah but an artificial intelligence would they be perfectly rational is there any advantage to making them not perfect perfectly rational i mean why would they be rational why do you think they would be rational i don't know i don't know i'm not a pro i'm a theologian <laughs> i don't know yeah, so again, when we think about like rational AIs, uh, I think we that is very much governed by our, our early experience with chess engines. Mm-hmm. So when chess engines started beating people, it was because they would look at all of the moves ahead and figure out the mm-hmm. one which is most likely to maximize its chances of winning. Yeah. And um, uh, that is not at all how ChatGPT works, right? Mm. That's yeah. not at all how it was trained. ChatGPT wasn't trained to maximize its chances of success or chances of winning. ChatGPT was... Matt was trained to maximize its chances of predicting the next word that a human being would have said. So would that yeah. is that a recipe for rationality? I'm pretty skeptical of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that I think you're right. And especially like, you know, it's not being trained on things that are quote unquote rational, even though and this is a huge problem in philosophy and theology, that historically certainly there's been a pressure to justify what you're saying as pure pure reason. Yes. Um, or like perfectly rational. And yeah. that's not the reality. And this has been a, a major <coughs> critique from like uh, 
I don't know what it's called in philosophy, but contextual theologies that say, no, all of these things that you're saying are not perfectly rational and like the thing that anyone would arrive at. All of these things were developed in a context. And for most of our like biggest, most important philosophers in the world, like the ones Matt mentioned earlier this episode or two episodes ago or whenever are straight cis white guys from Western Europe. And so the critique from contextual theologies is, and this is true of theology as well, is that, no, you didn't arrive at this purely out of rationality. You arrived at this because of your context. And so we, as we do theology from a different context, we will arrive at different conclusions and, and challenging this notion of like pure reason or perfect rationality, even in humans. So, of course, an AI would not be able to develop something that um, humans have not developed if it's being trained on things right. developed by humans. Now, a chat GPT approach is very different. Again, we go back to what Yala Kuhn was saying over like, mm-hmm. hey, maybe this is a dead end, but that doesn't mean there are no paths forward to creating like a general AI or an artificial superintelligence or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, another approach probably the more likely approach for agents is something called um, reinforcement learning. So this type of model has something called the reward function. So let, mm-hmm. let's say I'm training a model to be really good at video games, um, uh, to win at like Tetris. So I'm not going to use ChatGPT yeah. for that. I'm going to train a completely different model, which um, has a reward function, which says, um, what is my... Like uh, maybe like maybe maybe the reward function is like how many uh, tiles high or how many bricks high is like my current mm-hmm. highest line because like the higher I go the 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 more I'm likely to lose soon yeah um, then so it has a reward function which is at any given point like how good am I doing and then it also has something called an action space so it says at any given point what are all of the possible actions I can take. So then mm-hmm. it will try one action and then it will then it will update its reward and say like okay. Am I after taking this action? Is my reward higher or lower? If it's yeah. um, if it's if it's lower, then it takes a different series of actions. So this is a little bit different than what I described previously, which is just mm-hmm. like I'm giving you a bunch of text, and you have to predict what the next word is going to be. Because this isn't creating its like the reinforcement approach is actually creating its own data by exploration. Mm-hmm. These other models don't explore; they just have data already given to them. So an exploration-based approach to agents is very very interesting. Um, so could that interface with uh, sort of these D&D characters? Well, actually, maybe let's put aside D&D, but just go back to the question of rationality, which is like, if you have an AI maximize a single reward function, would it behave rationally? Um, it might behave optimally, but is what's optimal in order to achieve a specific objective, uh, a specific reward function rational. For example, if my ration, mm-hmm. like this is this is like the doomsday scenario that they say for AI. If we create a super intelligent AI and we say your goal is to maximize the number of paper clips that are produced, it right. will destroy mm-hmm. the world and pave over all of human <laughs> civilization so it can make paper yeah. clip factories. And like in that sense, it's rational for its goal, well, so- but it's obviously rational for humans. So, I mean, the, I guess this is a broader question about whether certain ends are just valid per se or independently of interest, because it would be perfectly rational for the paperclip making machine to destroy all life if life doesn't mm-hmm. have any value. You know what I mean? If, the, if that's not an end that it's yeah. subordinated to just in virtue of in, inherent, like, valuableness of, of life, mm-hmm. right? So when we're saying... 
well, it's not rational to do that. What we're presupposing or bringing in, which of course, you know, I agree with or whatever, but is the idea that there are certain things that either everyone should value or should be a hard limit on our valuations or these kinds of things. There's something very intuitive about that, but mm -hmm. um, you know, that's not like automatically given or whatever. If you don't think that, then it would be rational for an AI to destroy every, all of reality. <laughs> you said our, our, our sort of like values are just established through literally like thousands of years of civilization and, and conversations and oral tradition and literature mm -hmm. and all this stuff. So I can't design – like I don't even know if, – if, like in order for you to convey your value system to someone else, it literally takes like years, right? right? Like a child grows up in a culture in order to mm -hmm. learn – our value system. So like, how can you possibly like write program an AI like that? The whole point of AI is it's hard to write compl complicated rules. So we have the AI figure it out. So how can we, you know, like, like bypass that problem with injecting values into it? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. Well, I think the, the thing is that just like humans pick up on values subtly, the AI will also pick up on them subtly by lear by not learning it. Cause we know it's not learning. But by being trained off of off of text that subtly reinforces these well, values. But I why mean, would it? Why would well, it? There's nothing. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I I I I think there's something to the thought that many of our cultural values are um, contained within our products. But the danger of that is like, I mean, there was the story of Microsoft's AI on Twitter, the name of which is escaping me mm -hmm. right now. And this is yeah. sort of a bad example because people intentionally did this but it reveals something is that ai was like very quickly became like a monstrously racist uh mm -hmm. thing and you remember this for us what was it called i do it, i do yeah. i don't remember what the name of it was yeah so i mean like it could pick up our values but that might reveal more about us than we would like to <laughs> to know you know what i mean so my mom actually works uh in this field she gives a lot of talks about the subject which is called responsible ai so um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you just train AI on data, then it often does things which are against the values that we hold dear to us. One example she gives is um, there was a system that was used to try to recommend uh, salaries for mm -hmm. employees, like based off of their, their grade levels. And it consistently gave women lower uh value like lower lower suggested salaries than was fair than mm -hmm. it would for men with the exact same experience exact same position turns out if you look at historical data women have been paid less than men and so that was what it had learned that that's what it had learned based on our data it says yeah this is what you do this is what you want okay cool i'll i'll keep on perpetuating that right so it, uh, it implicitly uh. yeah go ahead well, I was going to say, I mean, it, there are the values that we value and there are the values that we don't value. Like, I mean, there's a little bit of complex equivocation going on with terms here insofar as like our culture has systematic misogyny in it. So in a certain sense, we do value that, right? I mean, we don't value it as in it's not the thing that we aspire toward, but embedded within our cultural form of life is, is, is a lot of misogyny. So it's not... Mm -hmm. I think it's not being f unfaithful to our culturally embedded values that it did that. I think that's what Joey's point was. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I totally am. Is, is that what your point is, Joey? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, because um, you were talking about, like, values being pro programmed into the AI. Right. 
versus being subtly or being picked up um, or it just like kind of developing them on its own. So for example, one of the very early things that we said in the, in like our first episode, probably years ago by now on AI was that if you just did an AI without like some safeguards you and train it on data coming from the internet, from Reddit, from Twitter, you would have a racist AI hundred percent. And so because it would teach itself, oh, well, this is normal. Racism is just like, yeah, this is just how how we understand. It's how it's done. <laughs> um, unless you put in things to to avoid that. And so, yeah. like humans, we don't... I think it's because we pick up things in a similar way. Like, there are a lot of things that we don't have to be taught or, like, told that, like, a lot of people will not be told black people are inferior but you might be told this thug was caught was outside their home after curfew and died in an altercation with the police or whatever when the reality is oh the police came and like shot this poor unarmed black man whereas the story you would hear about like a white person might might be like this freedom fighter yeah exactly like this freedom (laughs) fighter was touring the capital on january (laughs) in an orderly fashion you won't be told black people are criminals but when you only see crime perpetrated by black people being caused or when on like um, the media and stuff like the way it's presented yeah exactly and there, there are all these subtle ways that we're taught to to be racist or to have racial bias that sometimes is unconscious and sometimes is not so unconscious yeah i mean i guess there's kind of a profound question here is like are these biases that are found in these ais are they like a mirror to our worst selves do they sort of reveal the things about ourselves that we don't want to admit that's what i said i think i think that's a really (laughs) good question and i think that that's a good question for another episode about (laughs) the philosophical implications and theological implications of artificial intelligence just because like right now we've been talking for like three and a half hours more like almost four so i think we'll we'll have to get back to a lot of these other questions but i would be thrilled to have you back for us and and talk more about this even if Sounds we good. might end up splitting the episodes up a little we'll bit see how just it's so done. it's not just holy like shit there's gonna be like five episodes <laughs> okay no that's that's good yeah. Yeah. no the way we you could do I, an entire I, podcast about this i yeah. um ended up sp- I mean, I did this accidentally, but it worked as I split up. I was supposed to do like <laughs> Christianity, atheism, atheist cleric stuff straight in a row. I ended up editing the metagaming first. So we put those out first, but I ended up liking that better because it breaks up the information flow and it makes it feel yeah. like you can revisit topics at different points. Yeah. So we'll probably do, you know, a couple episodes on AI, drop those, do some other yeah. stuff. Yeah. Revisit it. No, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, I think these are like relatively, I think you guys did a good job of splitting up. Like how does AI work versus... Yes, mm-hmm. it was all us. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Well, I enjoyed this conversation. Easy interview for us. Oh, thank, thank you, you for much. us. Let's hear ad lib. Do you know how rappers have ad libs? No. What do, do you know mean? what that is? Froz, I can't have another conversation. I got to dip out. <laughs> I'm gonna press done now, Joey. Is that okay? okay? All right, all right, all right, all right. See you guys. All right, all right. Talk to y'all soon. All right, bye. bye.